Today on the Doc on the Run podcast, we're talking about why you should think about getting some new running shoes. Hi, I'm Dr. Christopher Segler, and thanks for tuning in to the Doc on the Run podcast, where we help you understand how to keep training and running even if you've been injured. Let's face it, the primary tool used by runners are running shoes. Although we often think about heart rate monitors, GPS watches, and all sorts of fancy fabrics for our running clothes, nothing will affect your performance as much as the very best properly chosen running shoes. Given I'm a sports medicine podiatrist with a practice catering solely to helping runners run and I like to run, you can rest assured I always run in the very best running shoes. Not surprisingly, other doctors and lots of runners ask me which running shoes are the best. That's not an easy thing to answer. Of course, the short answer is that the best running shoes are the ones that work best for you. But you have lots of variables. Your foot type is probably different than mine. Chances are good that you're a faster runner than me. You also probably have a different training regimen and set of goals for this year. In an ideal world, your running shoes are supposed to help you run further, decrease your risk of injury, and protect you while you train. The very best running shoes are always an accurate reflection of the runner's particular biomechanics, running form, training regimen, and particular goals. So in this episode, we're going to talk about some of the ways you might want to reconsider your running shoe choices. Now before we really get started, I want to tell you that this episode is not just about making sure that you replace worn out running shoes. But just to cover the bases and to get that out of the way right now, I will say replacing worn out running shoes is extremely important. You cannot run in worn out running shoes and expect to get any reasonable or even predictable protection from the running shoes. And your running shoes are probably worn out. As you run, you pound away at the EVA cushioning material in the midsole of the running shoe. If you weigh close to 200 pounds like me, you're probably really beating up the shoes when you go for a run. If you happen to be a heel striker, you're beating them up even worse. Now, I've read all kinds of articles that say a runner should be able to go about 500 miles in a pair of running shoes, but that can vary considerably. For somebody like me, I can really only go about 250 miles in a pair of running shoes. If you happen to be you know, a relatively light-footed runner who's a, you know, a woman that weighs 100 pounds or something, then you may be able to go 500 miles. But after I run about 250 miles, they just aren't providing the same level of support or cushioning anymore. Now, the good news is you don't necessarily have to chart all of your mileage in a spreadsheet or a journal all the time to figure out when to replace your running shoes, but I do think it's extremely useful for all runners to go through one initial exercise just once so they can really learn about how many miles it will take for them to wear out the running shoes. Here's how you do that. The first thing you should do is go to the running shoe store and purchase two pair of the exact same type of running shoes you're running in right now. This is operating on the base assumption that you actually like your running shoes. It also assumes you're fairly used to running in these particular running shoes. And when I say get the exact same pair of shoes, I understand that the brand may have already modified that particular model slightly since you bought the last pair. As we all know, the running shoes are constantly changing. So go to the store and buy two pair of the exact same kind you've been running in. Say, for example, you've been running in the Brooks Glycerin for the past few years. Go to the store and buy two pair of the Brooks Glycerin that are in your size. If if it were me, I would buy two different colors. Again, just for purposes of this explanation, let's just say that you get a blue pair and a red pair. So start running in the blue pair. Every single time you go for a run, log the mileage, the terrain, and note that you ran in the blue pair of the Brooks Glycerin. 
So start running in the blue pair. Every single time you go for a run, log the mileage, the terrain, and note that you ran in the blue pair of Brooks Glycerin. Just as an aside, I will say that when I purchase new running shoes myself, I try to do some initial short runs in the brand new running shoes, but I do longer runs in the older running shoes just so that I can break in the new ones gradually. And we'll talk more about the utility of this strategy later. Anyway, back to logging miles in your new shoes. You want to keep very clear records on how far you ran and whether or not the terrain was flat or hilly. You also want to know whether you ran on trails or some hard surface like asphalt or concrete. If you do all your runs on the road, it really doesn't matter that much. You don't have to keep track. And once you've logged 200 miles, you should check and see if you have any significant wear that you can actually feel when you run. So put on the blue running shoes and go run one mile. Then put on your red shoes, the ones that are brand spanking new right out of the box. Go and run one mile. So if you do those two back-to-back -back runs, one mile each, one in the ones you've worn for 200 miles, one in the ones that are the same exact shoe, just a different color and brand new, see if you can't tell a difference between the two pairs of shoes. Again, for someone like me who weighs close to 200 pounds, I will actually be able to tell a difference in the amount of stability or firmness of the shoe after only about 200 miles. Some of the EVA cushion in the midsole will have already begun to collapse. With 200 miles on the shoe, it will feel somewhat unstable and wobbly compared Compared to the brand new shoes. By the time I get to 500 miles, they don't even feel like the same brand of shoe anymore. They are completely worn out. And with that amount of mileage, I can just look at the exterior of the shoe and see wrinkles in the sidewall of the outsole. Those wrinkles are a clear indicator that the EVA cushioning material on the inside of the midsole has already collapsed. You don't get any of the wrinkling unless something is collapsing on the inside. Whenever I see injured runners during a house call or even when I do a remote consultation for them via web conferencing, I typically look at the runner's shoes. I assess wear patterns, but I also look at the side of the shoe to see if there's any wrinkling that indicates they're running in shoes that are way too worn out. In many cases, your shoes are so worn out, if you just hold it up in front of your computer and I look at it over the internet, I can actually see that there's collapsing in the midsole material. Although I've not tracked it and I would never be able to document this, I'd be willing to bet that if runners would simply replace their running shoes sooner, it would eliminate about half of the injured runners who call me for help and advice. And once you've done this experiment and you've really assessed for yourself to try to figure out about how far you can run in the types of running shoes you prefer, you'll then know really how long you can run in your shoes before you risk an overtraining injury that might be related to an obliterated midsole. The best part of this, of course, is that since you've logged all your miles, all you have to do is look at your running log, and then you can tell about how long it took to wear out the shoes. So then you know, for example, if you ran 300 miles before they started to feel very different than your new shoes, and it took you three months to run that many miles, well, then you know that all you have to do is replace your shoes every three months or so. You don't have to keep track of your mileage all the time. Just know that you need to replace them every three months or so. All you have to do is put a scheduled alert on your calendar which repeats every three months to remind you to buy new running shoes every three months or so. So even if you're busy with work, family, life, training, and all that, you're going to get an automated alert from your calendar every three months to remind you that it's time to get a new pair of running shoes. Now with that out of the way, let's get back to the main point. Different running shoes can deliver different forces to your body. The best running shoes for you are going to do three things. This is the Doc on the Run podcast. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. What's a virtual doctor visit? The idea of not running at all while waiting for my foot to heal was simply depressing. I really needed a second opinion from an expert, someone who specializes in helping runners. 
What you'll get from Dr. Segler, in my experience, is expert runner and medical care that's individualized for your needs. I'm left with actionable steps to recover from my injury. Dr. Segler is different, and I felt heard, didn't feel patronized, and I felt like he prioritized getting me back to running as soon as possible as much as I did. I just couldn't see sitting around for six weeks knowing my hard-earned fitness would vanish. I know Dr. Segler is an expert, and I wanted to see him in person. But frankly, I just couldn't afford the cost of a house call. I saved enough money to pay for my next marathon registration. You know, have an appointment with Dr. Segler, whether it's via Skype or on the phone. You can expect, one, he's going to be on time. Two, he's going to be able to spend more time with you than the typical uh, visit in a doctor's office. And both of those are going to result in a more effective diagnosis and treatment plan for you. I'm a young woman in the Philippines and I hurt my ankle yesterday. I just wanted to say thank you and that it's such a relief to be able to find a website like yours and get some information when I'm in a place with uh, little to no medical care. So I just wanted to call and say thank you. You're awesome. Book a virtual doctor visit and get a second opinion online today. Welcome back to the Doc on the Run podcast. Now with that out of the way, let's get back to the main point. Different running shoes can deliver different forces to your body. The best running shoes for you are going to do three things. Number one, the best running shoes will work well with your particular running form. Number two, the best running shoes will decrease forces enough to prevent an overtraining injury. And number three, the best running shoes will help you achieve your goals. So let's talk a little bit about running form. As runners, we often talk about running form. Almost everyone listening to this will have read some article about how running form can decrease your risk of injury or help you run faster or both. And you've probably read books about running form. You may have even gone so far as to have an expert assess your running form. You might even have one run each week where you do nothing other than really just try to focus on your running form. All right, for you listening to this right now, how would you describe your running form? Do you think of yourself as a heel striker? Do you think you're a forefoot striker? Are you mainly a midfoot striker? How would you really think about it if somebody said, what kind of running form do you have? The funny thing about this is that whenever I talk to runners and other doctors, many people seem to have the perception that any given runner only has one particular running form. What I would argue is that runners have different running forms dependent upon what sort of workouts they're doing. In much the same way that a car has several different gears, runners shift things when they run at different speeds and on different surfaces. As an exaggerated example, if you happen to be a forefoot or midfoot striker, I would like you to go walk one mile as a forefoot or midfoot striker. Unless you happen to belong to one specific tribe in Africa, it's unlikely that you'll be able to do this. Okay, before my ridiculous challenge causes some kind of weird overtraining injury because you're walking around on your toes, let me rephrase that. It will be unlikely you can walk as a forefoot or midfoot striker without a lot of discomfort. That discomfort comes from loading structures you don't normally load that way. We all know running is very different than walking. The biomechanics are different. But your biomechanics are different when you do different workouts. If you're doing speed work, your form is going to vary considerably when compared to your long run. Don't believe me? Just set up a video camera or even the video camera on your phone to record you when you run on a treadmill. Go run at a 10-minute mile pace and look at your form. Note the amount of vertical displacement, whether or not your primary heel is striking, if you're landing on your forefoot or your midfoot. Look at your stride length. Look at where your feet actually land. Look how far they cross the midline. Then, even if only briefly, increase your speed on the treadmill so you're running at a 7-minute mile pace. Then, compare that. 
I can promise you that your running form and biomechanics are going to change considerably at a faster speed. We all know that virtually every marathon training program on the planet recommends at least three different types of workouts per week. These workouts often include some sort of speed work, some sort of long run, and then some sort of tempo run. When you run at different paces, you apply forces differently. To maximize this difference, I actually run in four different types of running shoes. My goal is to spread out the forces as much as possible. An overtraining injury is nothing more than too much force applied to one specific structure. If you want to avoid an overtraining injury, you want to spread out forces to as many different anatomic structures as possible. You want to share the load. One strategy to help achieve this is to use different shoes for different workouts. Again, I personally run in four different types of shoes. So one huge disclaimer here, I'm going to tell you the shoes that I have in my rotation right now, but just because I use them doesn't mean they're best for you. Also, in terms of potential conflict of interest, I will tell you that I do not own stock in any of these running shoe companies. I'm not a paid spokesperson, although I do discuss these running shoes when I lecture to physicians about running biomechanics at medical conferences, I have never been a paid speaker for any of these running shoe companies at a medical conference, and I didn't get them for free. I bought all of the running shoes I'm running in right now. I don't have any particular allegiance to any of these brands. I think it's important to mention that because many doctors actually get free running shoes from running shoe stores or from running shoe companies. But with that aside, here's what I'm running in right now. The first one is the Asics Gel Nimbus. For my long runs and my what I call my off days, I run in the Asics Gel Nimbus. And what I mean by off days is those days where I feel tired, worn out, exhausted, or otherwise just not feeling right. The Asics Gel Nimbus is a running shoe that I've been using for many years, and I think it's one of the best neutral cushioning running shoes for me. It works really well for me. So it's super cushy and it's relatively protective. Because I've been running them for so long, I always feel comfortable in these shoes, but they're not perfect for everything. On my intermediate distance days, I use the Hoka Bondi, and although they look bigger than the Asics Gel Nimbus, they're considerably lighter in weight. They are similar to the Asics Gel Nimbus in that they are also a cushioning type running shoe for neutral runners with a lot of shock absorption material built into them. However, they're very different in that they only have a 4mm heel-to-toe drop compared with the usual 12mm heel-to-toe drop found in most conventional running shoes. Now, Hoka running shoes make a great addition to any running shoe lineup because they can help runners pursue more minimalist running style in a more protective environment. The active foot frame and unique technology built into Hoka running shoes offers a surprising amount of stability in forefoot rocker that has the potential, I think, to decrease loading throughout the forefoot. Although, again, this isn't research that Hoka claims. These are just my perceptions. Now, I also run in the uh, Newton Gravity, and I use the Newton Gravity for speed. Speed work. And when I say speed work, what I really just mean is mile repeats. If you're a short course runner, you probably do much faster speed work than I do. But because I prefer longer races like marathons and Ironman triathlons, I do mile repeats when I go to the track once a week. When I do mile repeats, I use the Newton Gravity, which has a 3mm heel-to-toe drop and a weight that's about half of the Asics Gel Nimbus. Like all Newton running shoes, they have forefoot lugs that really help you to focus on your form, particularly making sure that you land as a forefoot or midfoot striker. Many years ago, when I set about writing a review for Newton running shoes, I started using them for my mile repeats once a week. All I really did was focus on form, making sure that I was landing as a midfoot striker, and trying to stay on pace. And after a few months of that exercise, I chopped a whopping 20 minutes off my previous best marathon time. 
So before you get all excited and you start writing in telling me that, you know, you changed your hat and you had a PR one time, keep in mind, we're talking about 20 minutes. Now, some guy actually wrote me one time and uh, he got all bent out of shape and he actually told me that he had a PR when he was wearing a different hat and I shouldn't tell people that they're going to get a a better PR wearing different shoes. But I can tell you that if I ever wore a new hat and was able to chop 20 minutes off my time, I'd run with two of them. But truthfully, I can't tell you with any certainty that it's really the Newton's running shoes that made me run so fast. And But I will tell you that that was not a temporary improvement. It wasn't just one single race. I've been faster ever since. But it doesn't matter if it's really the shoes or the fact that the shoes helped me learn how to run with what is certainly for me a more efficient running form. My personal performance improvement isn't debatable. The clock doesn't lie. Running in Newton Gravity running shoes simply made me faster. When I do trail runs, I run in trail shoes. Trails are different than paved surfaces. Because I live in California, there's lots of sand, dry, dusty sections, eucalyptus leaves, and mud. The outsoles of all trail running shoes have much more aggressive lugs to provide better traction and help you slip and slide less. The forefoot outsole of most trail running shoes is also flared outward, which helps impart stability. Although it is subtle, that slight outward flare provides some serious protection against inversion ankle sprains. It functions kind of like a tiny little outrigger on your foot. Now, I don't have any particular sales pitch to try to convince you that the Brooks Cascadia is somehow the best. They do happen to fit me really well, and I think that's important. They also seem to be very comfortable on the trails where I run. And to be perfectly truthful about it, I love the color of the old ones, but my new ones are hideous. Now, that's not really the fault of the Brooks designers. I mean, the designers are kind enough to at least make them in several different colors. The hideous look of my trail running shoes is a consequence of my own impatience. I went to the running shoe store, and it just so happened that the only ones they had in my size that day were a color I hated. But I prefer good running shoes to pretty running shoes. And as a side benefit, if you're actually running on trails, they're going to get covered by a sheen of dust or mud pretty quickly, which conceals any offensive colors. And I do hate them less since I got them dirty. Now, the goals of my particular running shoes always match my particular run. The goal of speed work is to learn how to run fast. As I mentioned, in my case, I just do mile repeats, but the goal of those mile repeats is to become accustomed to running at a faster pace. It is biomechanical training. The shoes that I use when I do mile repeats, the Newtons, they help me focus on good form. They help my biomechanical training. The goal of my trail runs is to vary forces considerably, get stronger by running up steep hills, work my core, and, above all else, not fall down. And people do fall down when running on trails. I can speak from experience. Last year, when I was running on a fairly treacherous trail in Kauai, I got both a concussion and a cracked tibia on the same run, on two different falls, just to prove that I'm a slow learner. Now, the other thing that you would like your shoes to do is decrease forces. Now, some people say because you can't change the force of gravity, you can't change the force of pounding when you run, but I say that's hogwash. For example, we know from published scientific research, when you run on super soft surfaces like grass, you get increased leg stiffness. Well, that totally makes sense if you think about it. You have to increase stiffness in your system when you're running on an unstable soft surface. Conversely, if you're running on a harder surface, your body needs to absorb forces and impact more dynamically. So, leg stiffness may decrease when you're running on a harder surface. 
Now it follows that if you run on softer running shoes versus harder running shoes, you may be able to alter the forces being applied to your entire system. By using the other two types of shoes in my rotation, my thinking is that I'm applying different amounts of heel to toe drop, different construction materials, different amounts of forefoot rocker, and consequently, different forces throughout my lower extremity during those long runs on the road. Again, all overtraining injuries are a consequence of applying too much force to a single structure. The more variety you introduce into your running routine, including your running shoe selection, the lower the risk of applying too much force to a single structure. Buy two pairs of running shoes at once. Figure out how far you have to run before you start noticing a change in the feel of your running shoes that would indicate they're wearing out. Once you know how far you can run, make sure you replace them before you wear them out. Don't get injured trying to clock an extra 100 miles on your running shoes. Switch things up, alter the style, and maybe even the brand of your running shoes to see if you can't introduce a little bit more overtraining protection in the form of variety. Do yourself a favor, get some new running shoes. If you have a question that you would like answered as a future edition of the Doc on the Run podcast, send it to me, and then make sure you join me in the next edition of the Doc on the Run podcast. Thanks again for listening.